talking today about evangelism and Pastor Nate kicked off the series yesterday, but I'm really excited, yesterday, last week, sorry, um, but I'm really excited, like Nate mentioned last week that he cringes at the thought of evangelism, but I get super excited about it. Um, so if you're anywhere in that spectrum, it's okay. I believe that there's going to be something for you this morning. And man, I'm just, I'm just really excited. I just, um, I'm one of those people that aren't gifted in evangelism. Like I, I wouldn't consider myself having that gift. But there have been some things that God has taught me along the journey that have become so valuable and actually work. Um, and so like work to, you know, have conversations with people to share your faith. And so I want to bring some of those really practical things um, this morning. But we also want to talk about how maybe we can like think a little bit more about evangelism. So there's a bit of both, something for everyone, I hope. Um, but let's start just with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the best teacher, that you are our guide, you're our counsellor. And so this morning, we really want to be hearing your words. God, I just pray that anything that I speak, Lord, would be glorifying to you, but also helpful for your people, God. And so, Father, we just incline our ears, we incline our hearts to you teach us your ways. And I just pray, God, that as we go out from today, we would actually have more confidence in doing the work of the evangelist. We thank you, God, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned, um, Pastor Nate kicked off uh, the series last week and he mentioned that, you know, it's a little bit cringy sometimes. And um, yeah, I, I actually think that that generally is the way for Christians, that often when we talk about evangelism, there's a little bit of a, like a... Ugh. So quick show of hands here. Who's comfortable or who even likes evangelism, doing the work of the evangelist? Whoa! <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, who here um, has a lot of discomfort with evangelism? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Who's kind of like midway? You're like cool with it and then it's also challenging. Oh, cool. Okay, great. I think we have people all along the spectrum this morning. <laughs> I love how your eyes are just like, that wasn't me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really do think that there's going to be a little step maybe for each and every one of us that we can take going from this place this week. Um, so let's get into it. So often the Bible talks about garden imagery, right? It's like all the way from Genesis through to Revelation, there's lots of garden imagery. And certainly for evangelism as well. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, if I can get that up. Oh, it's cut off. Anyway, it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so we see this gardening imagery of sowing seed, watering that seed, and then harvest time, right? So we see that with evangelism. But what I find is that in the church and sometimes amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can actually talk a lot about the harvest season. We highlight that a lot, right? We actually highlight those conversations where um, we've shared our faith and somebody, you know, dedicates their life to Jesus. That's often what we highlight, we praise. But that means that sometimes we can think about evangelism as just about the harvest and we actually cut out the sowing and the watering that can sometimes be the bulk of evangelism. And so that's not very helpful. And so today I want to kind of talk about that spectrum, the sowing of seed right through harvesting. Um, but what happens with that is that Sometimes we gain our expectations from what we esteem and what we highlight, right? And so if 
us Christians only ever hear these stories of harvest, then we kind of start to think that that's all evangelism is about. It's just about the harvest. And then we neglect the other parts of it as well. And what can be really sad about that is that when we do step out and we share our faith and it doesn't really seem to go anywhere, you know, no one's giving their life to Jesus, we actually get discouraged. And when we're discouraged, sometimes we're tempted to actually never practice that thing again never to share our faith again and that's a tragedy right because part of being in God's family is that we share our faith with other people it's kind of an expectation that God has for us and so that can happen sometimes but other times as well what can happen if we think about harvest as the only part in evangelism is that we actually send people out of our churches thinking about the harvest and not about sowing seed And what often can happen there is that we're driving people to the point of, you know, salvation and responding to Christ when they're actually not ready yet. How many of you have, you know, had a garden of fruits or vegetables in your, like, in your house, right? So if you, yeah, if you know about gardening um, and planting fruit and vegetable trees, you would know that there's a process to it, right? And it's actually really hard to pluck that fruit or that vegetable from the vinyl tree before it's harvest time, before it's ready. And, you know, sometimes that's what we can actually do with our, um, you know, unbelieving friends and family. We actually try to force something before it's actually time. And that, I find, not only leaves a bad taste in the unbelieving person's mouth, but also in yours as a Christian, right? Because you step out, you try it, and you're like, oh, this is just frustrating, and it's actually embarrassing and disappointing, and it can just become this really negative experience. But today, I'm here to tell you that there is so much more to evangelism on our part than the harvest. And so um, I want to share with you a little bit of... um, I guess this scale, right? It's like research back. I think we have a picture about it. Cool. All right, so this is called the Engel Scale. Let me tell you a little bit about it. So James Engel wrote a book in 1975 called What's Gone Wrong with the Harvest? And this is where he coined this Engel Scale. So Engel had a background in social sciences and consumerism, and he created this scale to show the common journey people have towards spiritual maturity. And so, yeah, you can just see there that basically going upwards, people are working their way towards maturity in Christ. And it starts at this place of no awareness um, of God at all. And it it was interesting because when I looked into this, I was fascinated by the fact that there can be up to 10 categories before somebody is ready to make a decision to surrender to Jesus. There can be 10 different steps that a person actually has to walk, uh, walk through or work through in order to get to that place where they're ready. And um, yeah, so that, that really stood out to me because after looking at that, I was like, you know, we actually put a lot of pressure on ourselves to think that we can take someone from no awareness to God to a place of surrendering their life to Him if we believe that that's going to happen in one, two, three conversations, right? That's a lot of pressure for us to own. And so, um, so this morning, if you you know, have actually been trying to share your faith and you've been doing that for a number of years and you haven't yet seen the fruit of it, you're actually probably in the company of many Christians because, you know, people, we're not simple beings, right? There's so many things for us to actually 
think about, to process, to work through. And I believe that there's so much value in actually working through logically and holistically how we are to surrender our life to God. Like it's not a simple decision for some. And so if you're there, you know, take heart because there are things that you can do. Instead of maybe looking at that category of number 10 decision to to surrender to Jesus, instead, what would be a better idea is to actually work out the purposeful day-to-day sowing of seed and, you know, the expectation of that harvest, kind of putting that to the side because what we can work on is the sowing of seed. You know what this scale also highlighted to me is that is the kinds of questions that people may be asking. So, you know, if people are investigating Jesus, they want to know about him. They want to know about his life. But for the person who has no awareness of God, they probably don't even know how Jesus factors in to, you know, being God and the Trinity. And so we can actually see when we can pinpoint where people are at a little bit more, we actually know maybe what questions that we can ask to unpack things with them. And I know I know this looks very um, clinical maybe, a bit logical and a bit linear. And yeah, I believe that life is messy. It doesn't always work, you know, step one, two, three, four and so on. But this is meant to be a guide. It's meant to help us. It's a tool to actually help us think about how we are engaging with people. So from there, let's get to see, um, let's get into how we can be purposeful with sowing seed. So in the Bible, the Apostle Peter writes to the Gentile believers who are experiencing persecution for their faith. And what's really important to know is that, you know, if you're in a really tricky place, you've been sharing your faith with someone and you are, um, you know, being rejected for that or you're being sidelined. I know that some workplaces can be really nasty about this and they can actually, you know, you can start to feel a bit of a, um, you know, cast out from the community. Then you're actually in good company because that's the way it's been since the church actually began, since Christianity actually began. We've always been a misunderstood people. So take heart with that. But it's into this kind of context that Peter actually instructs and encourages his church. Let's read this scripture together. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So if we want to be purposeful with sowing seed, it's actually good to know what kind of seed God has actually given us. And um, Peter writes about two forms of seed in this passage. He points out that we can sow a reason for hope or reasons for the hope that we have in Christ. And we can also sow by having good behaviour. So let's talk about reason for hope first up. 
whether you've inherited your faith, you know, maybe you come from a line of Christians or maybe you're the first generation Christian in your family, there would be reasons for why you have decided to place your hope in Jesus rather than anything else. Because let's face it, there are so many things that people can put their hope in. There's your finance, there's your career, there's, you know, your relationships. There's all of these kinds of things that people often do place their hope in. But for some reason... Us lot, us crazy bunch, have decided to actually live by faith and put our hope in Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes we also glorify the testimonies that are really hardcore. You know, the ones where I, you know, my whole life was sinful and then I found Christ and He saved me. But what I want to encourage you today is that any reason for why you've placed your hope in Jesus is a good enough reason. And that's a reason to guard and to see as precious and to see as something that has value for another person. It may be that, you know, your grandma was radically saved by Jesus and the culture of your family drastically changed from there. And that's why today you've placed your hope in Jesus. Well, you know, be thankful for your grandma and what she's experienced. And that can be a reason that you share. You know, if you've also had first-hand accounts where God has rocked up into your life and has changed your world, that's also seed, that's also reason for the hope that you have in Christ. All of it is good. And what I find is that sometimes when we're so locked up with fear about sharing our faith, sometimes we begin to even not see that those reasons that God has actually given us to place our hope in Him. We don't see them as precious. We don't see them as valuable. And so when we get into these conversations it's kind of like oh well you know Jesus kind of did this like he amazingly healed my grandma from cancer but you know it's just whatever come on that is such a good reason why you have placed your hope in Jesus so today maybe part of what you need to do is actually go home after this morning and think what are all the reasons why I've placed my hope in Jesus and you know what It's actually a really encouraging exercise for you to do yourself, especially if you're going through a difficult period where your hope might be a little bit rock bottom, it might be a bit low, but for you to count all those ways that Jesus has, you know, intervened with your life, has shown his love, has showered his grace upon you, it's such an encouraging thing to do. And what's more is that you will know the seed that you have to be able to sow. Philippians 4 eight encourages us to think about what is worthy of praise. It says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there are any excellence, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What more could be worthy of praise than for all the reasons why you love Jesus and for what He's done in your life? So maybe that's something you need to do. Maybe you need to actually stop and think about your reasons so that you can document them. You know, I've heard of people having journals. That's something that I do as well, where I actually document all the miracles, all of the experiences I've had with God, just so I can go back and look over these reasons of why I... I have and will continue to place my hope in Jesus. But that's something we can start with. If you find yourself being in those conversations and you feel like I've actually got nothing to give, you've so got something to give, but you probably just haven't thought about it. And so that's where you can start. You know, something else that I've learned about 
talking and sharing my faith and the reasons for um, the hope I have is that one thing I've begun to do is actually ask questions because sometimes we don't know when an opportunity arises. We don't actually know where a person is at, you know, referring to that angel scale. People will be at anywhere on that scale. And if we actually don't know where they're at, then we don't actually know what opportunities are before us, right? And so one of the things I've taken to do is actually ask the person questions about themselves. You know, we actually do that pretty well here as a church family. Why not just take that outside of your church family and begin to ask those questions of other people as well? Obviously, respectfully, the scripture says that. But, you know, that's actually a brilliant way to show that you care, but it also gives you a window into the worldview that that person might be coming from. And then we can start to ask ourselves, what similarities do we have? I know the seed that I have. I know the reasons for my hope and the experiences I've had with God. How can that actually match up to where this person is at? And I love how Pastor Nate shared last week that our task isn't to be the hero, but to show people our weakness, show them the things that we've had to walk through and how Jesus was strong for us in those situations and those experiences. You know, there's somebody that I meet up with um, monthly and we met recently and she begun to um, talk to me about just her work and how she's really excited with it. And she's killing it. She's an engineer and she's getting all these opportunities to team lead and she's doing amazingly. But, you know, I, I asked her, so how's your work-life balance going? Like, you know, you, you sound like you're really satisfied in the job. How's the balance of life going? And the tone actually really changed in the conversation and she, she, you could tell that she was just so heavy hearted about it and, and she'd begun to share how, yeah, work's great and, and I'm loving the opportunities that I get within it, but I'm working these long hours, you know, past nine to five, five days a week and then on the weekends, I'm kind of just so tired that I crash and it's just a time to reset to do it all again the next week. And so she found herself kind of thinking, is this really all that there is to life? You know, is, is this all that I'm going to do for the next 60, 70 years of my life? And um, yeah, I, I could actually see because I had thought about it. I thought that, you know, I've had those seasons in my life where I have felt like, oh, is this all there is to life? Is this all my purpose is? And, you know, praying about it, God could speak vision into it. He could speak purpose and plans to it. And so because I asked her a question, I could actually, you know, share my experience with her, but I wouldn't have known that unless I asked the question and knew where she was really at. So maybe that's for some of you where you, you know, you kind of wait for the other person to just share. Maybe start prompting with some questions of your own. You know, how is this going? How is that going? What do you think about this? And that can actually lead you to knowing how do I plant the seed that I have? How do I share that? And, you know, for anything that we're trying to get better at, so this kind of, this next, um, I guess, practical applies to so many things in our life. But if ever we want to get better at something, we've got to try it, we need to evaluate, and then we need to try it again. And so, you know, I've done that um, a few times because 
What I found early on in the journey is that sharing my reason for the hope I have in Christ isn't something that comes natural. I think sometimes amongst our church, amongst our Christian family, we sort of have this language where we just get one another and we get the intangibles that come with spirituality. But, you know, sometimes that that doesn't translate very well. And so that was kind of my um, thing that I would get caught on. And so I would go away and I would evaluate and then I'd try again. And, um, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like, there was this one conversation I had where um, one of my friends had come to church and um, and they had come away feeling like, this is such a great place to be. Like, there, there was almost this hope restored to me and I felt so much lighter about what I was going through. And... Um, and she shared that with me. And so I was like, okay, so why why don't you give church a good proper go? Like, why don't you come every week for maybe six months and see, you know, what that does? And she basically just came back and said, look, I don't think I'm ready to commit to that yet. I, I feel like I wouldn't be able to do that well. And so if I want to commit, I want to be able to, you know, commit wholeheartedly. And in the moment in that conversation, I was like, oh, that's oh, I was a little bit disheartened. I was like, man, you know, I really wanted her to say yes and to give that a go because I felt like that would be the thing that would really help her. But then when I evaluated, I went away and evaluated and I thought, you know what, she's actually realising that commitment is involved in this. And I thought, wow, like if she's thinking that way, when she is ready, she's going to commit wholeheartedly. So I thought, okay. So she's not quite there yet, but it sounds like she's actually very open to um, knowing more about church and knowing more about Christianity and knowing more about Christ. And so I could evaluate. um, And that really helped with not getting the answer or the response that I wanted. And you know, sometimes it helps in the moment as well because I was talking to this other friend about who the Holy Spirit was. And I kind of went out on a limb because, you know, talking about the Holy Spirit to someone who doesn't really get spiritual stuff it's a bit like oh there's so much to explain and it's so weird and speaking tongues like what the heck um and so I went out on a limb and um she was really interested and she began actually asking more and more questions and so I went away and I evaluated from that conversation I could see that she's actually open to things of the spirit the supernatural perhaps and um, next time when I caught up with her I could be more prepared with you know that kind of talking about that kind of stuff and so Trying, evaluating something and trying again, I believe is such a crucial part if we are wanting to do the work of the evangelist and actually begin to be a bit smarter about it and, a bit, and eventually become better at it. That's my prayer. And so we've got this first seed. We've got this one seed of giving these reasons for our hope. And then Peter, Apostle Peter, talks about a second one, and that is our good behaviour in Christ. Now, I love what this passage, I love how Peter talks about it because there is so much power in doing good, right? So not only are we blessed for doing good for Christ, not only are we blessed when we suffer for doing good in Christ, I feel like you don't get that guarantee anywhere else, right? When you're suffering for Christ, it's actually a blessing. Like, that's amazing. Um, But also, the Apostle Peter talks about the fact that doing good actually has the power to convict unbelievers. It's powerful in that way. And I believe that, you know, the Bible talks about 
good behavior or doing good in two kind of ways where we have our good works. That's something, you know, things that we can do for people. Um, and then there's our good behavior where it's how we relate to one another. It's what we do to people. And I believe that that's what Peter was talking about. And so, um, and so there's these two things that we can actually sow as seed. We can leave behind good works and we can leave behind good behaviour. But what does that look like? So good works, some examples can be that we, you know, share our dinner with someone. We invite them into our house and have dinner with them. It can be something like washing up the dishes after a meal to say thank you. It can be something like stopping to pray for someone if you see that they're hurt. Or it could be surprising someone with coffee. I feel like almost everyone would love that. Um, so it can be very simple things, these good works. Because, you know, what I've realized that being a Christian for so long, sometimes we don't really see the power of those things. But if you're always surrounded by people who don't really think about others or people who sort of, I don't know, like life revolves around them, these simple acts of love and kindness can actually be huge things. I think sometimes us as Christians underestimate the power of these things. And so those are some good works that we can, um, that we can do for people. What about our good behaviour? What does that look like? That could be something like giving a gift to someone who has wronged you. You know, the Bible talks about turning the other cheek and actually blessing our enemies. And so that's something that we can do in relating to others. You know, it might be refusing to gossip with the other staff at work, refusing to actually use your tongue for that kind of, um, that kind of talk. Or it could be showing respect when you don't think your boss deserves it. You know, sometimes we're not blessed with the greatest of bosses, but it's actually always having a track record of showing respect. And, you know, maybe if you're in university or, you know, um, yeah, and you get invited to go out and have drinks. And there was this one time where I was invited out to a hen's night and um, I knew the plans, like they told me the plans and stuff. And the aims was to go out, get drunk and some other things. And so I was kind of like, you know what, that's not really my jam. But what I will do is that I will hang out, you know, in the lounge area outside with my friend and we'll take you home when, when you can't drive yourself home. You know, it can be simple things like that that show you love and show this goodness and this kindness that you can give to others. You know, recently one of my pastors was speaking at a conference and she shared this angle on Psalm 23 verse 6 about, you know, um, leaving good works behind. And... She put it from Psalm 23, 23 verse 6, and it says this. The psalm, the psalm says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so that can actually be interpreted as only goodness and kindness shall follow me all the days of my life. It's like this track record of what follows me. There's this goodness and there's this kindness. And often I find we actually talk about that in the context of how God pursues us. And it's kind of about all all about his love pursuing us. Um, but she came at it from this different angle of there's this of what are we leaving behind wherever we go? What's our track record? Do we have a track record of being good and being kind to other people? Do we have a track record of having good behaviour in Christ where we actually stand up for what we believe and what is right, even if we look different, even if we look like the marginalised? You know, what's our track record? 
have a think about your life. What do you leave behind? What's the, what's the aroma that you leave behind for people? Is it that you are generous? Is it that you are good? Is it that you are kind? Is it that you are gracious? Or is it that maybe you're a bit selfish? Or maybe a bit self-centered? Or maybe, you know, you hoard everything that you have just for yourself. But can goodness and kindness be seen in your track record? Maybe that's something to go away today and reflect on. What's your track record like? What's your reputation? What are you known for? And, you know, what's, it's kind of hard to evaluate yourself sometimes, but maybe ask a trusted friend or, or your spouse, uh, you know, what, what do I leave behind? Do I have this record of being good and kind to people? You know, I remember notable shifts in my relationships with unbelievers when I sowed a little bit of kindness and a little bit of goodness. You know, again, it was simple things where um, there was one situation where um, one of my bosses, he was completely laid into by a customer and um, you could see that he was just like so ready to just like go and cry. Like it was really intense. And so I just went out the back with him and sat down with him. I was like, hey, do you want to chat about that? That seemed really intense. And so he chatted and, and from there he was like, oh my gosh, I have an ally in Beck. I actually have somebody in this workplace who, yes, I lead technically, but who also cares for me. And that really opened, out, opened up our friendship. You know, there was this other time where I just lent my car and lent my time to this uni student who needed to um, move house and they had to do it in a really short period of time. And from there, they were like, oh my gosh, I just can't believe your generosity. Like, that was so helpful. And from there, we're still in contact. And from there, she's just been way more, what's the word, open with me, a lot more comfortable with me because I helped her with that small thing. And there was this other time where... um, I, when I was working in a coffee shop, actually, and we had, um, yeah, we tend to get people from overseas coming and working on the team. And um, there was this one particular Christmas where my colleague wasn't going home. And so he had no family here in Perth. So I invited him over for Christmas dinner. And from there, it was like, he, he was like, wanting to be my brother like it was really funny he, he felt really like chummy with my parents and and he loved that that was something that he needed and and that friendship too opened up and I was able to share a little bit more about my faith and my beliefs with him so there's these little things guys and and sometimes it's actually leveraging what we already have the places we already go the people we already know it's leveraging those um those uh, resources just to to sow seed a little bit more. But you know, sometimes it's actually going out of our way. Sometimes it is gonna cost us. The Bible talks about that when we surrender our life to Jesus, our life is then not our own, right? Because we've given it to Jesus. And so living for him actually requires everything of us. So I'm not saying that sometimes it's gonna be simple and easy. Sometimes it's gonna cost you huge time. But hey, it's all in the name of sowing seed because that's all we can do. That's all we can control. And so I want to just invite the band to come up. So Peter, he talks about these two seeds. There's these reasons for why we hope in Jesus. And then there's this seed of how we live, how we behave, how we act, what we do for and what we, how we relate to people. And I hope that's been helpful. I hope that's given you some practicals or at least some ways of thinking about how you approach evangelism.
But there's this one last thought that I want to leave with you. And that is this, when Jesus is set apart in our hearts as the most precious and the most important, it's from here that the sowing of the seed can actually flow. You see, Peter instructs the Gentile believers to in their hearts honour Christ as holy. And why would he say that? Why would he give that reminder in light of what they were going through, through this persecution and through sharing faith? And I believe it's because it was meant to help them with their fear of man. You see, the Bible is very clear. We either fear man or we fear God. And, and Isaiah, it's kind of this, um, the scriptures connected in with what the Apostle Peter was saying. He was alluding to this. And so I want to share this scripture. It says, Isaiah 8, 11 to 15 says, For the Lord spoke thus to me while his hand was strong upon me. Basically, God was speaking to him. And the Lord warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what it fears or be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will become a sanctuary, a stone one strikes against. For both houses of Israel, he will become a rock one stumbles over, a trap and a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Now that starts off really lovely because it's like the Lord, if you fear him, he becomes a sanctuary for you. And it's true. And I think especially when we talk about evangelism, where there's fear involved, where there's stepping out in faith, it's good to know that we have a God who is a sanctuary for us, a God where we can retreat to and we can be comforted, we can be encouraged, we can be uplifted and we can be strengthened again to go back out and try again. But you know, I think the reason why Peter was talking to the Gentiles about this is to warn them as well that, you know, once we begin actually disobeying God by fearing man above fearing Him, is that we can begin to live in fear and actually succumb to that fear. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm about to share my faith, you know, my heart begins to race and I'm getting all excited. But at the same time, those thoughts start to pop into my mind of what are they going to think about me? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? You know, <laughs> they're going to throw a punch. Like <laughs> those are real questions that enter my mind. But in that moment, I have the opportunity to either close my mouth and shut down the testimony that God has given me, shut down the seed that I know He's put in my hand, or I can choose to fear Christ as holy. I can choose to switch and, and just tell myself again that no, 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 it's Christ who is seated on the throne of my heart. It is Christ who I live for. And in that moment, I can have the fear of the Lord instead of fearing man and actually share the seed. Because after all, that's my responsibility. It's not the harvest. It's not the result that happens from there. For me and for you, it's that you've been entrusted with seed and we're meant to sow it and we're meant to water it. And the harvest belongs to the Lord. But you know, maybe you're here this morning and you're in this place where actually hearing God's voice is really tough. 
I want to submit to you that maybe this has happened for you. Maybe you've been living more in fear of man than in fear of God. And because what happens with that is when we start to have this track record of fearing man, we disobey God over and over again. And sometimes we can get to the place of, I actually don't hear God speaking to me anymore because he can't actually trust me to obey. And I don't know about you, but I've been there before. And it's a really scary and a really sad place to be in. And I remember getting to this place and I was God and I said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for fearing the response from people, fearing what they may think about me and actually being prideful in that, in that way. That mattered to me more than the seed you would have given me and that mattered to me more than pleasing you and worshipping you in those situations where I could have. And you know, the minute that I repented, God was so good, so kind and he opened his arms wide to me and he accepted that, he embraced me and then we could proceed on the journey from there. You know, this morning, I've given you some practical things And then some things that you can go away and think about. But this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to actually have your heart right before God. And so this morning, what we're going to do, just while you're in your seats, we're going to give a moment to Holy Spirit. And I know that for some of you, He's been already speaking to you and been giving you ideas as you've been listening to this message. He's been stirring ideas of things that you can try. He's been stirring thoughts of maybe how to tweak some thinking about how you've been going about things. But right now, we want to give him a space to really speak, to flag things with us so that we can actually commit. And I want to pray a prayer of commitment after we have this moment. So the band's going to play for a little bit. What I want you to do is just say, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and show us Come and show us, come and speak to us. What is it that you would have me do? Maybe it's going away and thinking about those reasons and actually logging those down and knowing the seed that you have to sow. Maybe it's having a think about how you can become more habitual about sowing good behavior and good acts, good deeds. Or maybe it's actually repenting of that fear of man that stopped you from sharing your faith and turning to the Lord. Come on, why don't we just close our eyes, incline our ears to Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.